Well, as we continue our worship this morning, let us take a couple moments to bow together in prayer. Uh, Father, we just thank you so much that we can come together to worship you. Uh, We declare this morning you are worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise. We declare, God, this morning you are the one true God who loved us, sent your son to die for us, and we are grateful and we are thankful. Lord, whether it's worshiping you in song or worshiping you in the word, we now uh, desire, Lord, to... uh, just ask you to prepare our hearts for what you have for us uh, in it, Lord, as we continue our worship. Pray, Father, that we can get out of the way what we know not teach us, what we have not. We pray that you would give us, and who we are not in Christ, we ask that you would make us, and we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, I'd like to begin to talk about an important subject, the important subject of false teachers, how to spot a counterfeit in the local church. You know, um, sometime back, I had read an old article about an individual who had uh, walked into a Dairy Queen. This was way back in 2001. It's an old news article, and in it, it was describing a gentleman who walked in with a $200 bill. Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't spent much time uh, seeing $200 bills in and around as we go go about paying for our things. But as this gentleman walked in with a $200 bill, he he had an order for just $2. And as the cashier saw the $200 bill, she took it. And then she went ahead and cashed it in the register and handed him back $198 in change. It's an interesting story because as I, it was actually an old news article from back in 2001, what it said in the article is that the police were still looking for the gentleman who had given this fake $200 bill. It, you know, when it comes to money, it's one thing to be able to spot a counterfeit, but the question I want us to consider this morning is how do you spot a counterfeit when it comes to the local church? How do you spout a counterfeit when it comes to false teachers in the local church? And so I want to invite you this morning as we take some time to talk about what we learn about false teachers in 2 Peter chapter 2, and we're just going to be looking at the first three verses together. The entire chapter will cover false teachers, but we're just going to get started this morning. Uh, The letter of 2 Peter is a letter written to warn believers about dangers on the inside of the church. In chapter 1, Peter warns believers about the danger of moral compromise as he encourages them to pursue spiritual maturity. In chapter 1, Peter said, don't just have faith, but add to your faith. Add to your faith seven qualities that will conform you into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ, knowing that God has given you his divine power that's available to you that will do everything that you need for life and for godliness. And so in chapter 1, having warned them about the danger of uh, moral compromise and the need for spiritual maturity, Peter in chapter 2 warns them about the danger of false teachers and how to spot a counterfeit when it comes to one in the local church. So I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of the word. We find ourselves in 2 Peter chapter 2 and we'll be in the first few verses together. 
verse 1 reads this way, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Uh, By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber." Word of the Lord, y'all may be seated in the presence of God this morning. How do we spot a counterfeit when it comes to Christianity? How do you spot a false teacher in the local church, inside or outside of the church? Uh, What do we learn about false teachers in just these first few verses? First thing we're going to see is that false teachers in verse 1 are inevitable, and so we should expect them. Peter puts it this way in verse 1, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. In other words, this was relevant to Peter in his day and age, and is relevant to us in our day and age. False teachers are inevitable, and so in the local church, we're told to expect them. The manner in which Peter introduces the reality of these false teachers is by means of a contrast, a comparison, and a warning. Peter begins in verse 1 with a contrast. He says, but. But connects us to the previous verses at the end of chapter 1, where Peter reminded us of the reliability of holy men of God, true prophets of God, who spoke as they were led by the Holy Spirit. And Peter is contrasting these individuals with false teachers who were going to be among those in the local church. And so Peter begins with this contrast. What he's saying here is that while the word of God is reliable and true, false teachers are not. And wherever you see the genuine preaching of the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ, there you will also find a counterfeit. At the end of chapter 1, if you remember, Peter reminded us in verses 19 to 21 that the word of God can be trusted, that the word of God is reliable, and that the word of God is true. And the reason for that is because both the revelation and the interpretation of Scripture is from God and not from man. Now, some people may put up a finger even this morning. Maybe there's some skeptics in the room and they may ask, how is it that you can say that God's word is reliable and true when you say that the revelation is not from God, but man, if men are the ones who wrote it and men are the ones who teach it and therefore interpret it? Well, because of what we read last time, the doctrine of inspiration. The manner in which these men wrote or recorded the scriptures is by being moved by the Holy Spirit. Verse 21 told us, holy men of God, men who had been set apart for the purposes of God to declare the word, spoke or recorded these things as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So while God's word is reliable and true, false teachers are not. And the reason is this, because false teachers, the revelation they bring and the interpretation that they share when they talk about the Word of God is not from God, but is rooted in their own imagination. False teachers, when it comes to the revelation they share or the interpretation they share about the Bible or the gospel of Jesus Christ is not from God, but is straight from the lies that come from the pit 
of hell. And so Peter begins with a very, very strong contrast so that we can be prepared for false teachers, knowing that they are inevitable, we are told to expect them. So first, he begins with a contrast. Secondly, he gives a comparison. He says, but there were also false prophets among the people having contrasted them with the true prophets throughout Israel's history who who spoke as they were led by the Holy Spirit, he compares these false teachers in Peter's day as in our day with Old Testament false prophets. And he says the false teachers who were present in the church then as they are today are similar to the false prophets who spoke and taught throughout Israel's history and led the people of God astray. All throughout the Old Testament, you'll read about uh, different descriptions about false prophets and how they led the people astray. I'd like to begin by just reading one text, and that'll give you an idea of how these Old Testament prophets were described and how they can be compared to false teachers today. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 to 5 says this. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder... And the sign or the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you saying, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall put away the evil from your midst. And all throughout the Old Testament, you'll read about how Old Testament false prophets are described and how they are warned about. And Peter compares false teachers in the church in his day and in our day to those of these Old Testament prophets. And when you take a look at Deuteronomy 13 and other texts that speaks of these uh, false prophets who led the people astray, three unique character traits come to mind. The first one is that whenever these false prophets in the Old Testament spoke, they did not speak from divine authority. They spoke from another authority. They did not speak the authoritative word of God, but spoke from another authority in and of themselves or from something else. The second thing you learn about these individuals in the Old Testament who led the people of God astray were, were those who, when God prophesied judgment, they declared peace. And so they picked and chose exactly what they were going to share with the people. And when God said, judgment is coming, repent of your sins, they said, the peace of God is coming. And ultimately, they kept the people from repenting in order that God might relent from sending harm and judgment their way. And thirdly, the the character traits that mark these false teachers was that their judgment was certain. And what is true of Old Testament prophets who led the people astray? False prophets is true of false teachers today. When false teachers speak, they do not speak from the authority of Scripture. They speak from their own authority. They speak from the authority of experience. They 
teach from the authority of pop psychology. They teach from the authority other than the authoritative word of God. And whenever anyone departs from the truth found in God's word, you better believe they're like the Old Testament prophets of old who led the people astray, these false prophets, and it's problematic. We should watch out for them. Secondly, false teachers today are are those who pick and choose what they want to share in the word of God. When God proclaimed in the Old Testament judgment, these false prophets of old, they declared peace. And there are people today who will pick and choose what you're going to listen to in regards to the word of God, who will not preach the whole counsel of God in season and out of season when it's popular and when it's not. You have people today who preach all about heaven but ignore the topic of hell. There are people who preach and proclaim Jesus Christ as Savior, but will not talk about Him as Lord. They'll talk about a God who is loving and gracious and kind, but ignore His justice and His holiness. And so when we're talking about teaching and preaching the Word of God, we're talking about preaching the whole counsel of God and speaking from the authority of Scripture and not our own experience. And thirdly, their judgment is sure. That's true of the false prophets in the Old Testament. And that's true of those who lead the people astray even today. And so Peter, he begins with a contrast and then a comparison. And then he introduces us to the reality of false teachers with this warning. Let me read to you it. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, Uh, among you. And so that word, even as, as we said earlier, wherever there is the true prophet of God, wherever the, the authoritative word of God is preached and proclaimed, you will always find a counterfeit. Even in the garden. When all of this began, you got Adam and Eve. Adam was told the word of God and what he was to do in the garden as he cared for it. And in slithers in the lies and the deception of the serpent. Wherever there is the genuine teaching and preaching of God's word, there you will have the satanic counterfeits as well, even as there will be false teachers among you. Peter uses it in the future tense. And what Peter is ultimately saying, whether they're already false teachers or not, you need to be prepared for them when they come. And what Peter is probably quoting here in regards to false teachers who will come is the Lord Jesus Christ himself who warned of false teachers who would lead the people of God astray from eternal life to eternal destruction. Uh, Paul also speaks of that. We see that in Jude as well. Let me share some of those texts with you. In Matthew 24, verses 4 to 5 and verse 11, this is what Jesus said concerning false teachers. And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. Why did Jesus say that? Because we at times can be deceived. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Verse 24, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Jesus warned us about the danger of false teachers who would lead the people of God astray from eternal life to eternal destruction. Paul, when he's speaking in the book of Acts, He warns the Ephesian elders of this in Acts chapter 20, verse 29, and he speaks of savage wolves on the outside and deceivers on the inside. Let me read that one to you. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come upon you, not sparing the flock. 
Also from among yourselves, men will rise up. These are deceivers from the inside, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. So he speaks of savage wolves on the outside, deceivers, wolves in sheep's clothing on the inside who are leading the people astray. And then Jude in Jude 4 says, for certain men have crept in unnoticed. So this, these are savage wolves from the outside in who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the people Peter is warning these believers about are not necessarily the savage wolves who are coming from the outside in, but deceivers who are coming from the inside out. In other words, the reason they secretly bring in destructive heresies is because they call themselves Christians. They may even confirm certain truths of God's word in relationship to what it means to be a believer, those core doctrines of the Christian faith. But eventually they expose themselves for the people they are. And instead of leading people to the truth of God's word and eternal life, they lead the people of God astray unto destructive heresies. Notice here it says in verse one, false prophets, even as there will be false teachers among you. In other words, there are those who look like Christians, who call themselves Christians, but they plant seeds of heresy. They plant seeds that deny the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Peter begins with this warning, and he says, beware of them. This morning, the first thing we learn about false teachers is that false teachers are inevitable, so we should expect them. As a church here at Twin Rivers, we can't just say, oh, thank good, thank God we're not like other churches. Thank God we don't have anyone who might come in as a false teacher and seek to deceive, but we're reminded that we need to be alert because false teachers are inevitable. We should expect them. Therefore, how are we to respond to that? The first thing I'd encourage us to do as a church is to take false teachers seriously. The reason we should take false teachers seriously and false teaching seriously is because what's at stake is our eternal destiny. What's at stake is is people leading the people astray from heaven into hell, from eternal life unto eternal destruction. And so if there's something that you and I should be sure about or that I would want to be sure about for myself and those I get to teach or talk with, whether in the church or in my family, I want to be sure what the Bible has to say about heaven and hell because ultimately my eternal destiny rests upon that. Ultimately, your eternal destiny rests upon that. Is Jesus, who he claimed to be, the one who came from heaven to earth to die a substitutionary death on our behalf so that all who would trust in him might have everlasting life, forgiveness of sins? Is he who he claimed to be or not? What's at stake is our eternal destiny. If so, there's something we need to get right. It's the gospel. If there's something we need to get right, it's the truth of God's word. So take false teaching seriously. The second encouragement is to pray for your pastors and your elders, myself included, when it comes to fulfilling our task to care for the flock of God, as we read about in Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews 13, 17 
It says, obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. They shepherd your souls. They care for your souls. As those who will give an account, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for your elders and pastors as we have opportunity to guard and protect the local church, primarily through the teaching and preaching of the word of God. If you want to know something that we as pastors and elders are committed to, the first is this. We are committed to caring for your soul and protecting the flock of God against false teaching, first by means of teaching and preaching the whole counsel of God, the word of God in season and out of season. The best way to guard the church against false teaching that will lead ultimately to eternal destruction and away from eternal life, the best way that we can protect the church is by teaching truth. We're not here to go about studying every other philosophy in the world, even though we could. Sometimes it's good to get to know what are the cults that are going on in the world and the false doctrines that are being taught and the things that you see on television. If we need to give a warning, we'll give a warning. But our primary duty is to teach and preach the word of God. Consider in 2 Timothy chapter 4, in the first five verses, uh, Paul's instructions to young Timothy. He says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom Preach the word. That's the primary duty of pastors and elders. That's the primary function. Be ready in season and out of season. That means when the word of God is popular and when it's not, when it itches our ears and tickles them, but also when it's difficult to listen to because it's challenging. We sometimes get rebuked by the word of God, encouraged by the word of God. It says, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Verse three, listen to this. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they want their ears tickled, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. In some churches, the church sometimes talks back. And as you're preaching the word of God, someone will say amen and another person will say preach it. Well, we're not the kind of church where we're going to call back, tickle my ears. I hope that you, as the people of God, would say, give me the whole counsel of God in season and out of season when it's easy to listen to, but also when it's difficult. I don't just want you to tickle my ears. I want you to preach the word of God. And that's how we primarily guard against false teaching and false teachers in the local church. Secondly, we're not just committed to teaching and preaching the word of God and therefore guarding this pulpit but we're also committed to a formal means of membership here at Twin Rivers Church. One of the ways we protect against false teachers coming in and leading the people of God astray is a formal means of membership. Membership is the means by which you go through the process of telling us your testimony and saying, yes, I believe in Jesus who died on the cross for my sins and rose again in newness of life, and I've received forgiveness for my sins and everlasting life in his name. And membership is the means by which you share with us the fact that you're on the same path with us when it comes to our doctrine and when it comes to our distinctives. 
If you were to say, hey, I want to be a part of this church, I want to serve in this church, but I'm not going to go through membership, that's a very easy way for false teachers and false doctrine to creep in. Because whether you're serving as someone, uh, as a greeter, or serving as a leader of a small group, that's how easily false teaching can creep into the local church. And so we are committed to a formal process of membership. And so, how do you respond to the fact that, that, that false teachers are inevitable? Expect them. Uh, we should pray for our pastors and elders as we stay committed to these things. And thirdly, may I encourage you as a church to guard your faith and to guard your family. The threat of false teaching is more of a reality now than ever. And the reason is because information is everywhere. We live in an information-rich society, and yes, you have access to all these podcasts, access to all these preachers, access to all these books, and you have access to all these different things. Certainly, there is access to sound doctrine, but there's also access to that which will lead you astray, in which the content does not reflect the truth of the word of God. And so we're encouraged to protect our faith and our family. How do we do that? By means of exercising discernment. When you hear that a podcast is Christian, don't necessarily recommend it to everybody in your family. Take time to listen to it and uh, read through it or see, see what it has to say. Listen to it for yourself. Uh, when it comes to Christian books at the Christian bookstore, I always cringe when I sometimes look at the top Christian booksellers and you're thinking to yourself, well, these are maybe not the best Christian books that I would recommend. Exercise discernment when it comes to recommending or using uh, various materials uh, as you exercise discernment, guarding your faith and guarding your family. So false teachers, they're inevitable, expect them. Secondly, in verse one, uh, false teachers are detectable, so identify them. Uh, the rest of verse one describes for us how we can identify false teachers. And as it continues, let me read the whole of verse one. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. First, uh, how are these false teachers described? They're described as devious. It says here, false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. And so as we're reminded, these are not savage wolves coming in. These are wolves in sheep's clothing who are already among us who call themselves Christians and who say that they are believers and believe what the truth of God says. But in reality, they expose themselves as not genuine in the faith. And so a false teacher won't come up to you and say, hey, just want to let you know I'm a false teacher. And it's great having a conversation with you. Just want you to know that in our conversation in the days and weeks ahead, I'm going to lead you astray. I'm going to lead you away from eternal life and to eternal destruction. And that is my ultimate end as well. False teachers are not going to come in and tell you who they are, but secretly they will lead you astray unto uh, heresies that are destructive in nature. Uh, Warren Wiersbe said it right when he said, uh, false teachers have our vocabulary, but they don't have our dictionary. And so they speak the same language. They say Jesus. They talk about salvation. 
They talk about heaven. They may talk about hell, but what do they mean by it? When they're talking about sin, what are they talking about? And so you can have a conversation with a Mormon, with a Jehovah's Witness, and sometimes we have similar language, but as you as you press further and you ask them, what do you mean by salvation? What do you mean by Jesus Christ? You learn quickly what they mean. Do you believe the full deity and humanity of Christ? Do you deny the virgin birth? Do you believe in the sacrificial and substitutionary death of Christ on the cross? Is Jesus the second person of the Trinity who lived, died, and rose again in newness of life, offering salvation as a gift to anyone who would receive it? Is Jesus the King of kings and the Lord of lords? We've got to press in further because false teachers are devious, and they secretly bring about destructive heresies. Secondly, they're not just devious, They're destructive. When it says destructive heresies, it's speaking of the impact and the result of what false teaching brings. It leads to destruction. When we're talking about destruction, we're talking about eschatological condemnation. We're talking about damnation. We're talking about hell. Ultimately, this is why we take false teachers seriously is because these individuals who preach and teach that which is contrary to the word of God lead people straight down the path of eternal destruction and death and an eternity without God and his people forever and ever. If we put up with false teaching and false teachers, the result is destruction. And so they're destructive. Thirdly, they're heretical. When we're talking about that which is heresy, we're talking about that which denies the truth of the word of God. When we're talking about heresy, we're talking about that which twists the word of God. I always like to say the Book of Mormon is a great book as long as it's plagiarized from the Bible. Ultimately, when you read the Book of Mormon, it's just the twists that you see and the turns that you see. Don't recommend that you read it, but if you do, you'll find just how twisting it is. It's 90% of the truth or 99% of the truth is still a lie. And so what we are reminded of is that we need to guard our hearts from heretical teaching. So heretical teaching is anything that twists the truth adds to the truth or takes away from the truth of the word of God that ultimately leads people from eternal life to eternal destruction. Those who teach contrary to the truths of God's word, what do these individuals deny? I'd like to give you seven ways that you can spot a false teacher. These are seven things they deny. The first thing is a false teacher will deny the doctrine of the Trinity. The Bible clearly teaches that the one true God exists eternally as three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are one in essence, distinct in person, and equal in glory. A false teacher will deny the reality of the Trinity. A false teacher will deny the full deity and humanity of Christ, put into question his virgin birth, question his full humanity and his deity, Uh, when he went to the cross and the manner in which he accomplished it. Thirdly, false teachers uh, will deny the the spiritual lostness of humanity. The Bible says all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. In Psalm 51, David told us, 
that he was born in iniquity in his mother's womb. He was born into sin. Listen, apart from Christ, we stand condemned. We are sinful and separated from a holy God in need of the finished work of Christ on the cross for our sins. Apart from Christ, we are in desperate need of him, destined for eternal destruction and death. Uh, Fourthly, they deny the substitutionary atonement and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. They deny the fact that the reason Jesus went to the cross was not for his own sins, but he went to the cross to bear our sins so that anyone who would trust in him as Savior and Lord would receive his righteousness as he pays for our sin in full. They deny that. They deny his bodily resurrection. Fifthly, they deny that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 is very clear on that. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And what these, what they seem to be well-intentioned people will say is, I receive Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and grants me forgiveness and eternal life. But in order to be genuinely saved, you've also got to be a member of a church. Or they'll say, in order to be genuinely saved, you've also got to observe the ordinances. To to, to be genuinely saved, you also have to get baptized, you have to uh, observe the Lord's Supper, or you have to obey the law, and you have to obey this list of rules. Listen, if you add anything to the finished work of Christ on the cross, you are not adding, adding anything of value. What Jesus Christ accomplished on that cross was, full, was complete. And so if ever you should hear anyone who say, yes, all you need is Jesus, and then try to add to it, that's a false teacher, and we te- treat that seriously. Baptism is important, but it's certainly not required for salvation. It's required for obedience, I'd like to suggest this morning, if you're not baptized and you see the word that says believe and be baptized and you don't walk in obedience to it, it might put into question some things. Obedience is not a requirement for salvation. It is the fruit that comes with it. And when you are genuinely saved, when you've truly trusted in Christ as your Savior and your Lord, there you will see the fruit of obedience flow out of your life. So they deny that they deny the the second coming of Jesus, who's coming in glory, his physical return. And seventhly, they deny the inerrancy and the authority of the word of God. Beware of anyone who questions God's word as the final authority on all matters to which it speaks. So false teachers are, are, can be identified by their heresy that are destructive. You deny any of these seven realities that Scripture is clear upon, ultimately you're leading people astray from eternal life to eternal destruction. And then next we see not only they do, do they deny those things, it tells us in, in verse 1, even denying the Lord who, who bought them. And so the word for Lord there is speaking of the supreme Lord speaks of him as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so what these false teachers do is they deny the lordship of Christ over their life. You know, you say he's savior, but you say, well, is he Lord? It's one thing to say he's savior, but is Jesus the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the one you pray to and say, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth, in my heart, in my mind, in my life, as it is in heaven? 
And so they deny the, the, the Lord of, Lordship of Jesus Christ over their life. And so they, they, they say they believe in Jesus, but the reality is they deny his lordship and do not walk in obedience to his will and his word. And it says uh, they reject his sacrificial death that he died on their behalf who, who bought them. Now, verse one may uh, put into question our minds, is it possible to lose your salvation? Because it looks as if these false teachers sound like Christians and, and yet they're denying the Lord Jesus. Consider the context of what's being said here. Notice here, these are not f- savage wolves coming from the outside in. These are wolves in sheep's clothing from the inside And they are presenting themselves for their true colors. And so while they profess to be Christians and believers, the reality is they are not. Because if they were truly genuine, they would teach and preach the truth of God's word. Uh, We hear about how God sustains us, those whom he called and predestined to himself throughout Scripture. We read about that in 1 Peter 1.5. It says, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Mark 13.13 says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Salvation is not a reward for enduring, but salvation is evidenced by enduring. In John chapter 6, verse 38 to 40, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, and that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. What we're reminded is, is, as God saves us, he keeps us, and he perseveres us to the end. Salvation is available to all. It's an invitation to all, but is only applied to those who believe and trust in Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him, you gotta believe in him, shall have eternal life, but even the ability to believe is given to him as a gift, given to us as a gift as we trust in him as our Savior and Lord. So they deny the the lordship of Jesus Christ. And then it tells us that these false teachers are described as condemned, and it says, and bring on themselves swift destruction. In other words, their destiny is the same destiny as those who follow them, swift destruction, eternal damnation, and eternity without God and his people forever and ever. This is serious stuff. Peter says, take false teachers seriously. Those who deny the core truths and essentials of the Christian faith who lead the people astray from eternal life to eternal destruction take these individuals seriously. And so what we learn about false teachers is that false teachers are detectable, so we need to be able to identify them in the conversations that we have with them. If I could give us just a if you takeaways, the first one would be this. I identify false teachers by the truths they deny. And the way that you do that is by continuing to invest in knowing the word of God. Don't just believe what other people tell you about God's word, but take time to read it and study it and meditate on it yourself. 
Don't just come to church and hear a message, but take time to chew on it. Take time to study it. Take time to dig into it yourself and then see what God brings out of it. But in order to be discerning, you've got to know the truth because to know truth from error, you've got to know that which is genuine. Don't study all the counterfeits. You study that which is genuine, and that's how you're able to discern truth from error. And so we do that by bewaring of anyone who teaches from any authority outside of God's word. (laughs) And beware of anyone who twists, adds, or takes away from the word of God and denies these core teachings of the Christian faith. And, And then secondly, if I could make this just really practical for us, it would be this, refuse the deceptive lies of Satan that are contrary to the word of God. Take time to refuse the deceptive lies of Satan that are contrary to the will of God. And I'm not just talking about these seven core doctrines of the Christian faith and what it means uh, to, to receive salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But every day, you hear those deceptive lies. You know the lies of Satan because you know the word of God. And knowing the word of God is ultimately what you put your faith in and your trust in and not those deceptive lies that people say about you or those deceptive lies that you hear in your own mind. And so I just encourage us this morning, the manner in which we guard against the deceptive lies of Satan is by means of when it comes to the struggles you have, I often share this, have a PBR prepared, have a planned biblical response. Whatever may be tripping you up, Whatever you may be struggling with, thoughts about yourself or thoughts about life and about your value and how God sees you, take time to study God's word and have a planned biblical response to respond to those things you need to. Here's some practical things. First, don't believe the lie that God does not love you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever should believe in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for you. If you want to know how much God loves you, take a look at the sacrifice that he made on your behalf. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that the Father made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Do not deny the fact that God loves us. He demonstrated that through sending his son to die a humiliating, excruciating death on the cross to buy our salvation and to purchase us out of the slave market of sin. Don't deny the reality of his love. Secondly, don't believe the lie that God will not take care of you or does not care for you. You know, when we were in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, we were reminded, cast your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Cast your anxieties on him, those things that divide your mind, those things that keep you up late at night. Why? Because he cares for you. Do not believe the deceptive lies of Satan that God doesn't love you and care for you. And thirdly, don't believe the lie that God will not provide for you. Earlier in chapter one, we learned in verse three that his divine power 
has given us everything we need for life and godliness. When we're talking about life, we're talking about eternal life. God has given you everything by his divine power, through his effectual calling, through the Holy Spirit. He's given you everything you need for salvation, and he's also given you everything you need for godliness. That means sanctification. And so if you're struggling with temptation, if you're struggling with thoughts in your mind that are contrary to the will of God in light of the word of God, be reminded he's given you the power through his Holy Spirit who indwells you. Don't believe the lie. A defeated Christian is an oxymoron. When Christ died on the cross and rose again in newness of life, all those who have been united with Christ have been united in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We've died to our sins. We've become a new creation. And as a new creation, we live in obedience to his will in light of his word. Do not believe the deceptive lies of Satan. And so uh, we learn that false teachers are inevitable, expect them. False teachers are detectable, identify them. We see how we can describe them here. And lastly, false teachers are dangerous. Don't follow them and don't be found among them. False teachers are dangerous. As we continue through verses two to three, we see uh, that false teachers are alluring, popular, even, uh, even inspiring. It says, and many will follow their destructive ways. Listen, a church that is growing doesn't necessarily mean that they're teaching sound doctrine. Churches that are mega churches and are exploding with people doesn't necessarily mean they're preaching and teaching the whole counsel of God. Can God bless a church who's teaching sound doctrine? You bet. There's many of examples out there, but don't judge the effectiveness of a church based on the number of people. Uh, what we see here is that their destructive ways are alluring, and their destructive ways are ultimately what draw people in. And so what we're told here is that they're, they're popular. Unfortunately, you turn on the television and you see some teachings that are contrary to the will of God and the word of God, and people are flocking towards them. We need to be on guard. We need to be aware. So not only are they popular, but it tells us in their popularity they are destructive, and many will follow what their destructive ways. The word for destructive ways there, that, that adjective um, describing their ways, uh, in the original Greek, refers specifically to sensuality. It refers to sexual immorality, but so much more than that. It's speaking of having a free license to do whatever you want and whatever your heart desires. And so what ultimately is exposed with false teachers is their lack of accountability before God Almighty. And that's why in, first, in the first chapter, Peter warned us about moral compromise because these false teachers come along and they deny the reality of the second coming of Christ and our accountability before him, leading people astray and inviting them to live a licentious lifestyle to live and follow the desires of their heart instead of following the will of God. And so false teachers ultimately behave based on what they believe. Don't you ever believe the lie that belief does not matter because ultimately how you live is preceded by what you believe. 
You show me your lifestyle and I'll tell you what you believe. You may say, I believe Jesus is Lord, but if you don't do what he says, you believe something else altogether. You're not, he's not Lord of your life. You are. And so what these false teachers do is ultimately they have destructive ways, sensual ways, and, and, and you see that in their lifestyle that they live. Ultimately, it's exposed. I hate to talk about the Mormons so much, but when you think about the, uh, the founder of Mormonism, Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, think about their lifestyles. They participated in, in a lifestyle contrary to the will of God in regards to polygamy. Having multiple wives. Where does that come from? It comes from these destructive ways. They invite their followers, come along and join the party. And ultimately, polygamy stopped because it was the law of the land. But if you talk to a Mormon today and uh, their wife dies and they marry another wife and they believe that marriage is eternal, they're going to have two wives in heaven. And so you better believe that you need to be able to check on these things because ultimately people are exposed by their false teaching in light of the lifestyle they live because they don't exercise accountability before God. Yes, we should have faith and trust in Jesus as our Savior and Lord. But as chapter 1 said, add to your faith. Pursue spiritual maturity. You are going to give an account before a holy God. And so we need to live in light of the return of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. And so they're described with their popularity and their destructive ways. As we continue to read, it says, um, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Unfortunately, because they claim to be Christians... The outside world looking in sees their lifestyle and sees their teaching that is inconsistent with the word of God and ultimately does not add credibility to the gospel or to the church's work, but takes away credibility. Whenever you have a false teacher teaching that which is contrary to the word of God and those who are not pursuing spiritual maturity but living a licentious lifestyle, one of sensuality following their desires of their heart, it takes away credibility from the truth of the word of God. And the way of the truth is blasphemed. That's an important phrase there, the way. You know, in the New Testament times, the church was referred to as the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through him. And this gospel, this good news, is ultimately maligned because of their testimony that they have in the life that they live. Uh, in verse 3, we see their motivation. It's greed and it's covetousness. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. The word covetousness, as I said, is greed, and so their ministry is money. Their ultimate goal is not the glory of God, but is more money in their bank account. And um, while Scripture speaks about money, if ever you find uh, somebody who's teaching the Word of God and they talk more about money than Jesus, maybe you get a little bit concerned. If someone is more in the ministry of money than in the ministry of glorifying God and going about his mission and preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth, beware of those individuals. When you see someone so focused on their lifestyle and their, and their belongings, beware of those individuals. It says, by covetousness, they will exploit you with 
deceptive words. And so uh, they will exploit, uh, they will deceive with deceptive words. The word deceptive there um, is where we get the Greek, well, where we get the English term from the Greek plastic. And so they will exploit you with their words that will deceive you, their fake words, their false stories. And so what they do is they itch your ears. There's no such thing as hell. You don't have to worry about that. You can live however you want. You're not going to be held accountable one day. All paths lead to heaven. People like that. Oh, that sounds good. Tickling my ears. People tell lies about these things, and openly they deceive people, and they lead them astray. Beware of them, and what they're more interested in is what is in their pocketbook. And then it says, their end is sure. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. I don't know about you, but maybe you came to church this morning, and you were thinking, man, I just want to hear an encouraging word. I've had a tough week, and now you're talking about false teachers and how dangerous they are and how they're among us and they secretly lead us astray by destructive heresies and we're talking about heaven and hell and eternal life and eternal destiny. This is the stuff that matters. These are the core teachings of, of, of what matters in the end. This is what we need to know with conviction, and this is what we need to share with others as we guard our faith and as we guard our family. The end of these false teachers is the end of those who follow them, destruction. And when we're talking about destruction, we're talking about eternal destruction and death and eternity without God and his people forever and ever I don't know about you, but that's a hellish existence indeed. This morning, we're invited to beware of false teachers. They're a reality that we will face. We need to expect them. We need to be able to identify them. But, but as we've just shared in regards to the, to the fact that they are deceiving, don't follow them and don't be found among them. Because if you are found among them and you lose focus of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, your end will be theirs. And so the warning is very serious here. And if you ever find yourself talking to a false teacher, talk to them about the seriousness of their eternal destiny because what they need is to repent and trust in Jesus as their Savior and as their Lord. So number one, don't follow false teachers and don't be found among them. This morning, if you want to be discerning, if you came this morning and you want to protect your faith and your family, you want to have the strong conviction that God's word is true and you want to share that conviction with your loved ones, with your children, your children's children, with your neighbors, your coworkers, and anyone else. The beginning is not simply knowing the word of God, but as you get to know it, coming to trust whom the word speaks of, Jesus Christ. If you're here today, and you have never received forgiveness of sins. You've never received the promise of everlasting life. This morning, the invitation is to come to Jesus. The Bible says all have sinned. All of us are sinful, separated from a holy God, deserving of his eternal wrath and judgment. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to die for sinners like you and I to be our substitute, to pay the debt that we owe, to buy our salvation and grant us everlasting life. 
All you gotta do is admit your need for Christ. Admit that you're a sinner in need of salvation. Believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world to forgive your sins and then confess him as your Savior and your Lord. You know, as I was concluding this message, I kept thinking of uh, the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. You know, we live in a world full of deception. Even you got false teachers in the church. But as we keep our eyes on Jesus, let me close with these words. Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior, a life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Father, in light of your word, we turn to you and we thank you how it guides us and directs us, protects us. We pray, Lord, that as we continue in the weeks ahead to study what it means to be able to spot a counterfeit and how to guard our faith and guard our family, (coughs) we pray that you would Continue to watch over us, protect us, and that you would keep us. Father, in light of the truths of your word today, we pray, Lord, that as a church we would stay committed to teaching and preaching sound doctrine, teaching and preaching the whole counsel of God in season and out of season, that we would be the kind of people who are not just listening to the word when we think we want it, but always when we need it. Lord, when we need correction, give us correction. When we need rebuke, we pray that you would rebuke us. When we need instruction or encouragement, we pray that you would give it to us. I pray for anyone this morning who, in this moment, wants to make Jesus their Savior and Lord and express that through a prayer. I pray that they can share this as I say it aloud. Father, I recognize my need for Jesus. I know that apart from Christ, I am sinful and separated, deserving of an eternity without God. But I also believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the Christ, the Son of God, who came into the world to die on a cross for my sins. Today, I make Jesus my Savior. I make him my Lord, the one I'm going to follow all the days of my life into eternity, the one who will keep me to the end. Father, we praise you for these things and ask them in Jesus' name. Amen.